series two of my podcast, Innovation, where we get to hear the wisdom and experiences of incredible women in science and technology. My aim with the conversations that you'll hear on this show is to learn more about STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths, or even STEAM, science, technology, engineering, art, and maths, and to hear from STEM people who are from diverse backgrounds who tend to be really underrepresented. Essentially, through Esteemed, I want us to get smarter and more knowledgeable about the world of STEM, but also bring a voice to the voiceless who are actually doing STEM. I was one of those people. I grew up in a very STEMI household where we were raised to be curious and ask questions about the world around us and figure out how things worked. Maybe that's the reason why I ended up studying mechanical engineering. It taught me so much about how things work, but it was actually life itself that taught me that not everything can be explained with a neat little mathematical equation. Life is messy, it doesn't always unfold in a straight line, and here on Innovation, I want to hear how other people in STEM have dealt with that. This week, I talked to Jennifer Olson, a biomedical engineer. My name is Jennifer Olson. I am a PhD student at Newcastle University, and I'm studying upper limb prosthetics. What are you doing with prosthetics, and how is that having an impact on the rest of us? At the moment, I'm looking just at prosthetic sockets, so the bit that's in contact with the person's arm. So there's lots of different components to um, a prosthetic arm. There's the hand, which a lot of my colleagues work on. But being from a mechanical engineering background, I'm just looking at the socket and how it interacts with the body and whether we can make it more comfortable, whether we can uh, manufacture it in better ways that make it faster and cheaper and therefore in the end more accessible to more people. Um, and, you know, people would think, oh, amputation, that's, that doesn't affect me. I'm not an amputee, but it can affect anyone and it, and it can be so sudden. So um, I'm just hoping that the work that I do helps, helps the people that are affected by amputation. And is any of the technology that you're working on and developing something that would somehow be adapted to technology that um, the majority of us could use? Um, but within my lab, there is a lot of work in EMG, which is um, electromyography, which literally just means electric muscle graft that's detecting um, signals from um, the body, so your muscles. And there is a lot of work in that for um, sports technology and even for military purposes. So even though our lab might seem really niche, the EMG work that I do and that everyone in my lab does does sort of eke out into um, everyday life as well. I do find that with technology that you might be working on something so specific, but it does end up having a knock-on effect. Um, but why did you decide to go into something so specialised? A niche, yeah. <laughs> it is a bit of a strange strange topic to sort of end up on. Um, I, To be honest, I, I kind of had a feeling that I wanted to do um, biomedical engineering from when I was around 16, um, but I didn't actually before that know what an engineer was I just kind of thought it's the person who fixes trains and cars um, and I, I like trains and cars but that really didn't interest me uh, I was interested in things like medicine and helping people but I didn't really didn't want to be a doctor um, and 
one of the um, STEM outreach officers at my sixth form college said, Jenny, I know you like designing things and I know you like making things. And I know you like helping people. There's this competition um, called the National Engineering Competition for Girls. Why don't you enter it? Um, and I was like, yes, this sounds like me. And for some reason, I literally have no idea why. I was like, I'm going to work on elbow prosthetics. I want to look at elbow prosthetics and after that I was just hooked I was just like okay I want to do biomedical engineering and then I sort of pivoted out of that a little bit and did spinal rods um, and then one of my lecturers at university um, specialised in hands and upper limb prosthetics and I was just like besotted with with the subject I was like this is so cool I think it's really interesting um, and he made the mistake of saying that you know oh there's nobody really looking at um, upper limb sockets and I was like I'll do it <laughs> I'll do it I want to do it so that's how I ended up there just because um I knew that there was a gap and I thought well I've got you know I think I've got the skills why not try and fill that gap it's amazing that you went from not knowing what an engineer does to becoming an engineer yourself have you ever felt conscious of the fact that there are so few women in engineering and how have you dealt with that um I have been conscious of it in in the past. Um, I'm really lucky, I must say, in the team that I'm in now, the team I'm in now is super diverse. You know, pretty much everybody's from a different country. We've got lots of women on the team. Um, So I'm really lucky in the team that I'm in now. But during my undergraduate studies, I did notice that a lot, there was a few times that students, like fellow students, would make comments or just about other girls, about their bodies, really inappropriate comments in, in like a work environment. And it would just feel like, icky you know you just feel really uncomfortable with it and you don't know whether to speak out you know there's a group of boys there and you feel really conscious of like oh what if they turn on me but then I also don't feel comfortable not saying anything I mean even some some members of staff had had said inappropriate comments and it it did feel you know okay this is uncomfortable um and but I do think it's getting a lot better like every year I've seen the amount of girls studying mechanical engineering at my university double but like it's gone from like 15 of us to 30 to 60 and now it's something you know it's really high I think there's probably over 100 now on the course so um, I do think things are moving in the right direction but there definitely has been times where I've personally felt uncomfortable um, being at say conferences and somebody makes a you know a really really awful joke and it's like just not okay I'm learning to challenge people more now though just because I think I'm a bit older and I'm a little bit more sort of confident in myself and I I will challenge people when they say something um, inappropriate because I feel in a position to do so but I remember being a student and thinking I don't feel like I have like the you know I don't feel like I can speak out I feel like this is going to sort of really damage my university chances whereas now I'm like no I've graduated it's it's I have to speak out because there's going to be somebody who feels like they can't (laughs) and that was me so yeah yeah I mean it's a really complex journey isn't it because so many girls don't think that engineering is for them so they don't even think about considering it and then for the girls that do end up doing it um, they have the additional work of dealing with being in a minority Um, what made you stay in engineering I mean what was what was it that kept you there I mean for me it was just the love for the job like I want to help people and I want to use I am a creative person I love making things I would just make things all day long um if left unsupervised (laughs) um and there was nothing that was going to stop me doing that so 
I you know the, the the little setbacks where people would make comments or things like that I just saw that as like okay I'll prove you wrong you know um I don't think I mean it, it's good to challenge these things but I think if it's not something that's offensive if it's just somebody saying like oh I don't think you personally can do it because you're a girl then I would just be like I'll just do it then and and prove you wrong um but yeah for me wanting to stay it, it wasn't wanting to stay it was like I'm staying and you know if you've got a problem with that then <laughs> that's your problem um yeah I mean that's amazing that you had that passion and interest for um engineering what about the girls um sort of coming up after you you know following in your footsteps who may not necessarily be um may not realize that they're good at stem subjects or maybe not creative like how can we sort of describe a career in engineering that may change their minds so that they end up considering it as a career option for them you know I think this this is a huge problem because I think just there isn't enough girls who are encouraged towards them like pretty much everyone who I've spoken to in terms of um like girls in engineering and women in engineering that I know it, it was a it was a late choice it wasn't their entire life they'd want to be an engineer it was they got to the final years of either school or college and somebody said to them oh do you know engineers also do this and it, it just flicked a switch in their mind like oh that's actually what I want to do I just didn't know it was called an engineer and that was the same with me I had it in my head you know I want to do these things but oh there's a job that does that and I think just getting into to schools and getting um just getting the message across to young girls that it's not just planes and trains. I mean if you're interested in planes trains and cars that's great that's fantastic but there's so many other things like when I'm going into schools I always say to kids like your shampoo your food makeup clothes everything there was an engineer involved you know there's always an engineer in any sort of thing that needs to be manufactured at some point there was an engineer so if your interest is clothes there's going to be engineers who work in in fabrics and textiles it doesn't have to be cars I mean if you, again if you love cars then great but you know <laughs> they're everywhere engineers are everywhere whatever you're interested in you can be an engineer in that area you know I didn't do physics so I did it at GCSE and I absolutely hated it you know I thought electricity it's black magic I don't want to touch it I don't I, I just don't understand um and I had a total mental block with it and I just never looked at it again um because I was like this is scary I don't I don't understand I think I have a problem with things that I can't see so when there was all these things going on that I couldn't actually see I was like this, this, nope I'm staying away from that um and when you know when you're looking at engineering courses you know one of the big things is you know you need you need to know your physics um and I think in the entire UK there was like five at the time there was like five universities who accepted mechanical engineering students without physics so I still had to like blag my way on the course but you really don't need it if you have if you're good at maths I would say okay if you're going to be an engineer you you kind of do need to know your math but you don't need to be the best mathematician ever otherwise you'd be studying math you know you just need to be able to to sort of grasp certain concepts and a lot of engineering is really practical so even if you're not good at say math or science in a science lesson when you can see something you can hold it and you can work with it and you can see the effect something is having on it it becomes a lot more real and a lot easier to understand so I think just maybe because people aren't academic at school there's so many reasons that you might not 
be good at science or maths at school but not a reason to not go into engineering there's a much more practical route as well people can do apprenticeships you can learn on the job and and it's so different so I'd say even if you're not good at or you don't feel like you're good at maths and science that's definitely not a reason like not to consider engineering I truly believe anyone could be an engineer it's all about interest if you're interested in it you're going to learn yeah, and engineers are real problem solvers. So if you're good at finding solutions to things, you could be an engineer. I love what you said about mathematics because I really struggled with maths um, growing up. And I remember we had two very different kind of routes that you could take take in maths. You could either go down the sort of maths and statistics route mm-hmm. or maths and mechanics route. And for some reason, maths and mechanics were so logical and so methodical. You could like the the examples are about real life things. You know, what happens when something is rolling, a skateboard is rolling down a hill or, you know, you're going in that direction and then you, you know, a plane's flying in a different direction, like objects moving. Whereas statistics was all about probability like if that then what and I was like I cannot get my head around that and so there are so many different aspects of maths I couldn't do maths in chemistry for example like it just utterly terrified me all those molar masses and things so I love the fact that you've made this distinction um, and really sort of talked about the nuances of those subjects that can be really off-putting for girls yeah, and I think that's really interesting what you said about mechanics, because, again, that's actually something I didn't do uh, when I was studying because it sounded too much like physics. So I was like, no, I can't do that. I'll, I'll, you know, I didn't even look. I didn't even try. I just assumed, oh, you know, it's physics. I'm scared of it. I'm not going to touch it. And I actually did statistics. And again, it's that like, what? I can't see this. I can't feel it. I can't, like you say, a skateboard, that's such a good example. You know, you can see how that works. But with statistics, it's very much like, you put your trust in something and I don't think I'm that type of person I want to be able to test it myself um so once I did actually you know sort of loop background to okay now I need to do some mechanics now that I'm you know going to study mechanical engineering I'll bite the bullet it was like oh this actually makes sense this this is my kind of maths I can see it I can touch it and I can understand it so yeah definitely don't be be put off by being you know bad at school and there's so many reasons that you might not just enjoy school it might be the teacher it might be the school it might just be that it's not very interesting what you're learning at the time you know there's don't give up because of that absolutely when I hear you speak I honestly feel like you are a true engineer there's just something about you that's so engineering-y which is kind of uh confusing me so much because there's this real strong stereotype of what an engineer is, you know, a bloke probably wearing overalls, dirt under the fingernails, and you are not that. Um, engineering is really changing, isn't it? Or is it that we're just updating our idea of what engineers are and that we've always got it wrong in the past? I think, you know, I think it's the latter. I think there's always been creators and people who make things and test things. And I think probably in the history books, they've been overlooked, you know, people who build bridges, you know, you remember their names, people who come up with the big inventions, but there's people who've created things throughout history who, you know, we we couldn't live without them now. Um, But, and, and I think just sort of that recognition of, okay, you make things, you test things, you build things that's an engineer it's something I'm actually really self-conscious of because I'm a biomedical engineer and you know biomedical it does attract 
a higher number of women because it's, it's a healthcare profession um and it does get looked down on a lot you know I get a lot of you know like snarky comments like it's not real engineering and I'm like when I'm building and testing things I'm I'm doing the same maths as you and I'm using the same programs as you I'm just using it for a different use um and I think that is something that I really stress to you know when I'm speaking to younger girls and they're looking to go into biomedical engineering it is something that they are also self-conscious about like oh it's not real engineering I'm like it absolutely is you know people need those devices um like certain parts of society couldn't function without those like devices so it absolutely is and it's not something you feel self-conscious about just because it doesn't look like a bridge or a car still engineering it just hasn't got the recognition it deserves and so what is your sort of daily life like like you know are you in a lab are you welding like what kind of stuff do you do for your work I think I'd be really happy if I was welding every day because I love welding but um no um you know I say to people like I work in a lab and I think they assume that like I'm there in like a white coat and goggles um it's got like two computers and like a coffee table that is our lab um, so it's it's a very modern lab um my day-to-day would mainly be working I mean I'm mainly working from home at the moment uh, I work from a laptop and that's pretty much it so it's not like I'm going in like you know hazmat suit and goggles um my day-to-day is using things like CAD programs I had to learn to code um in in my current role so I'm you know using a lot of things like Python and stuff like that and it's it's all remote these days um I think the the biggest piece of equipment I actually use is like my human-sized 3D printer um I've got got two of them they're like my babies but other than that that that's that's the extent of my lab equipment my laptop and 3d printers that's it <laughs> and, and what challenges are you trying to solve so within a film perspective there's I mean within prosthetics on the whole there's, there's a lot of different um a lot of different ongoing issues but my work focuses on like I said just the socket and trying to make it better to improve other things about the prosthetic socket which I realize doesn't make a whole lot of sense but so um people who use um myoelectric hands which is what people would know as like a robotic hand um they have to have sensors inside the socket so that it detects muscle activity um from the person's arm there is other ways of doing it but that is the most common and the cheapest version that's usually prescribed on things like the nhs um but at the moment the control of the hands isn't very good you know people see a lot of sci-fi see things like westworld and think we've got robotic hands that can completely mimic um a human hand no the hands themselves are brilliant but the problem we've got at the moment is actually getting signals from somebody's arm and turning that into something we understand um and at the moment the sensors that are inside the socket they don't always detect what we want them to they move around um there's a lot of reasons they might lose contact with the skin people lose weight throughout the day so again things like that um they can again lose contact with the skin um so what I'm trying to do is create a new type of socket that will stop that happening and it'll mean that those sensors stay completely in contact with the areas that they should be speaking to so that when we're getting signals um from the arm 
it, it's telling us the right information because at the moment sometimes we just get gibberish and it means that hands can do things you're not expecting them to people might be walking around and they'll open or close for no reason or they just won't work and it leads to distrust in in their prosthesis and you know that you've got to think this is an extension of somebody's body and if you can't trust that extension of your body you're not going to wear it um and there's also a lot of issues with prosthetics are expensive i mean there's there's companies who've brought prosthetic um, arms down to a reasonable cost but for a, a multi-grip which means more than one grip because currently on the NHS you can only have one grip open it close um, but if you fund it yourself you can get multi-grips you can have a pinch and things like that and at the moment they're sitting around seven to ten thousand is like the cheapest if you're funding it yourself but they can go up into the hundred thousand and that's not really accessible. Um, so hopefully if we can improve multi-grip hands to where they are more reliable that'll change policies where they'll be funded on the NHS and things like that. So it's basically just trying to improve access by making them better. If we make them more reliable, then yeah, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna fund them. But at the moment, they're not at a state where uh, the NHS can justify funding them because people abandon them because they're, they're unreliable. So are you having to come up with creative ways to keep those sensors in contact? And then is there a whole bunch of testing involved of those yeah. animals? Yes, so uh, that's that's literally my job. <laughs> you summed it up better than I do. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm trying to design new, either a new socket or additions to the socket that'll keep those sensors where they should be and speaking the right language. Um, and then I test them. I test them with either my colleagues, so we can have um, like a simulator of wearing a prosthetic socket, um, or we actually get amputees who come in and work with us. We have a really fab group of volunteers. Uh, who give up the time you know to do we usually give them like simple tasks so it'll be things like moving a cursor around on screen or or completing a game um one of my colleagues is working on a fantastic game to um try and get people to train like um a training program for emg but it's a game it's really exciting um and yeah we we just try it make it test it see if it works um and then publish our findings so that other people can learn from that so to get to that point where I can literally imagine you in this lab with a coffee table, <laughs> the laptop, coming up with all these creative ideas, like, can you tell me, like, summarise what your journey has been to get from this little innocent baby to this awesome engineer that is helping people um, in healthcare? I mean, I don't know if I'm helping people yet, but that is that is the aim. Um, but I think just for me, it was, I mean, let's say the start of my uh, prosthetics journey, which was when I was an undergrad student, I, like I said, I was obsessed. We had one module, I was doing mechanical engineering, and we had one module in biomedical engineering. And honestly, my attendance has never been so high. I was there, like at the front asking questions because I was just, I just found the thing like that I wanted to do. I, all the way through my engineering degree, I had it in the back of my mind, like I kind of want to go into biomedical engineering, but I'd never really had a passion for any of the other subjects. Like I would sit through thermofluid dynamics or things like that. And I'd be like, I mean, it's interesting, but it's not for me. And then when this, this module started, it was just like something 
switched in my brain. I was like, I love this. I want to do this. So I was like super keen. I was always asking questions. And I was up at the end of the lectures like, can you explain this to me? And, you know, like, what does this mean? Can I come to the lab? Can I see this? Um, and I think they just got that sick of me that they're like, do you want to stay? Like, do you want to stay in the lab? <laughs> so, um, and, and just working, a lot of engineering is like working within a team and I have a fab team. So, you know, we're always bouncing ideas off each other and I'll go into my supervisor's office with like a crazy idea and be like, would this work? And, and sometimes it won't. And sometimes it's like, well, we'll give it a go. Um, and I think just having that freedom to be like, okay, I've got this idea and somebody who's going to sense check me and be like, no, that's a silly idea. Oh, ooh, actually, you know, we'll give it a go. And I think it's, it's given me so much confidence over the last two years that, um, yeah, I think that that would be my my journey, you know, from keen little student to just having a really nurturing environment has totally helped because, you know, I know that if I go into my supervisor's office with, you know, a crazy idea and it is, you know, nuts, he's, he's not going to laugh at me. He'll be like, OK, this is why it won't work. Or, yeah, actually, we could give that a go. And I think having that sort of safe environment of, of being able to create and have somebody, a really good mentor, I think that really matters. Well, that just moves us beautifully on to a subject that's very important, which is mentorship and role models. Um, as probably, you know, n- not being in a majority as a woman in engineering, um, although I am aware that the numbers in biomedical engineering are not as bad as mechanical engineering, but um, how important have mentors and role models been for your own career journey? I think they have been important for my journey, but I think I'm really, really lucky in the fact that I have a super supportive family. So like um, my mum was always like, you can do whatever you want. I'll support you through it. Whatever it is, you know, we'll we'll help you in any way like that she could and and my dad too. And um, I think that for me was like my role model was was having that supportive family so I know that I come from I'm speaking from a point of privilege here because you know like my family was super supportive so I didn't really in my mind I didn't really need like a role model telling me that I could do this because I have my family being like you can do it and we're gonna help um and but in terms of you know personal role models I do actually have um one one role model if you like one sort of woman in STEM who I work with and she just everything she's just been like my rock through university so I do a lot of STEM outreach I go into schools um it's actually my my manager my STEM outreach officer Claire she is so passionate about getting girls into STEM and I just felt like you know like kindred spirit like we want to get more girls in STEM we want to get more kids into STEM we both come from low achieving areas and just everything like anything that I needed to talk about she was there whether it was something that had been said to me that was inappropriate I knew I could go and speak to Claire um if it was something that I thought oh that's not right I could go and speak to Claire and I do think having a woman that I could speak to who was from sort of the same background as me and sort of understood where I was coming from that was just invaluable and she is still invaluable she's brilliant (laughs) gosh she sounds awesome she is Um, awesome why has it been so important for both of you to encourage more women into STEM I think I mean for me um it's just because of my own personal experiences like and seeing (laughs) having things said to you that are just totally out of line like we're talking jokes about like assault and things like that and it just it's so upsetting and I mean I remember there was one thing 
that was sent to me during my undergraduate degree and I, I was crying for about a month at home being like do I report this do I not report this and I remember feeling so frozen like if I do say something is it gonna like am I gonna get kicked out you know <laughs> is it gonna but then if I don't say something like is somebody else gonna have to go through this and that sort of sort of mental torture of not feeling comfortable enough to report something that if I do say something is it gonna like is anything gonna happen you know am I gonna be sort of kicked out I don't know um whereas I know what that feels like and I don't want anybody else to feel like that so I want to create this sort of welcoming environment for girls for minorities for anybody who would feel uncomfortable entering um entering university not just STEM but you know higher education is a little bit elitist to say the least (laughs) um so I want I don't want other people to go through that. So that's why I'm so passionate about getting people into STEM because I think the more people that are in STEM from a diverse background, whether it's a racially diverse background, whether it's a gender diverse background, it's going to make a better environment. If you've got an old boys club, it's going to be uncomfortable. And it was uncomfortable. And I've seen it change over the last five years. You know, it's changed so much in that short time that I can, like, in my mind, you know, within five years, it's going to be way better than it is now and it's already way better than when I started and that's just a tiny tiny little fraction I think we've sort of hit that you know hockey stick we're gonna just gonna get better and better so I want to be part of that I want other people to feel comfortable and and I don't want them to go through that sort of you know crying at home to your mum being like do I report this you know they shouldn't have to go through that nobody should have to go through that and I want to create that environment where a they feel comfortable reporting stuff and ideally that there's nothing to report because we've got this nice environment. Woof I am totally 1000% with you on that um got goosebumps um in terms of mentorship um what's been the best I don't think anyone's really given me any like one piece of advice um, that I could sort of pinpoint. But um, OK, I'm going to be totally uh, I'm going to go off piece here and say this is actually my own advice that I give myself <laughs> because I don't think anyone's ever actually given me a specific piece of advice. Um, and I, it's something that I observe a lot in school is don't be afraid to get things wrong because I am I was always terrified I'm such a perfectionist I would never you know I would never do anything that I didn't like I would never hand in work that wasn't perfect I would feel too embarrassed I'd rather just not hand it in than it than it not be perfect um and I see this a lot in schools there tends to be whether it's children from low-income areas or whether it's uh, girls tend to do this in my opinion they don't want to get things wrong they're really afraid of looking silly and what happens when you do that is you don't ask questions you've got the curiosity but you're too scared to ask the question because you don't want to look silly and I remember doing it myself and I see it in kids all the time and I just stress it to them like you know what if you put your hand up and say oh I don't know this can you explain it you know what yeah you might look silly somebody might think that's obvious but the thing is it is one second you know it's one second of embarrassment and then you're going to know that and then the next time it comes up you you know it's, it's in there whereas if you just keep that curiosity but don't do anything with it you know, you're never going to learn. You've got to look silly to learn sometimes. I think of all my failures in the lab and things I've done wrong, things I've broken. And yeah, it stings. It's embarrassing. You think, how could it be so stupid? But then, you know, you learn from it and you don't do it again. Or, you, you know, you've, you've got that piece of knowledge. So, yeah, totally big headed. And I'm just giving myself my own advice here. Which is don't be afraid to look silly. You know, it's one second and then it's gone. 
that's the most amazing piece of advice and you know what you have that advice for others because that's what you've learned for yourself through experience uh just again like I've just got chills I, it's such an important message and also what came to mind when you were saying that is that um anyone that does laugh at you for getting something wrong is insecure themselves because what I have learned um in interviewing so many scientists and technologists and engineers is that the most intelligent and confident and self-assured people actually want to learn from your mistakes. So if you screw up um, and fail, they're like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, what did you learn? Thank you. I, I, need to, I needed to learn that. Like people that laugh at failure um, are just not evolved people. Like they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of beneath you in, 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 in my, that's what I believe. Like, I re- really believe that anyone that laughs at people failing just need to grow up. So why would we give them, you know, the power to make us feel bad for failing? So yeah, what an amazing, what an amazing piece of advice that you give yourself. So on that note, what has been the most humbling experience you've ever had in your life? Oh, most humbling experience oh man I mean there's been there's been so many I, I mean I've made lots of don't get me wrong I've made so many silly mistakes on my engineering journey um I mean I can't pinpoint one that was um specifically humbling because like I say I've made loads of mistakes but uh, I'm thinking about one recently okay this one happened actually last week and I felt like the biggest idiot on the planet um, and we had a new person in the lab who managed to click straight away what was wrong and I thought you know what genius you've got it um, so like I said I use 3D printers in my work and I'd installed some new nozzles on these printers so you know you've got huge 3D printers they're worth thousands of pounds and these nozzles are like 10 pounds and you fit them on so it can um squeeze out the material that's what the nozzle does a bit like a like a piping bag and I'd put these new nozzles on which were a different metal to the one we were using and I came back and there was leaking everywhere there was burnt material everywhere and I was genuinely terrified that I'd wreck £10,000 worth of equipment because I was like oh my gosh what have I done and I was thinking is it this is it that is it the new screws and I could not figure out what was wrong I was like okay there must be a gap somewhere and we had this new student who just started in our lab just started his PhD and he went oh it's because the metal heats up to uh, at a different rate it will have a different thermal expansion coefficient which means it will expand at a different rate to a different metal and I was like oh yeah oh yeah actually yeah it will and you know it was one of those basic engineering principles that I just completely hadn't considered at the time and it caused so much damage it's because you didn't like your thermofluids lecture it was it was because I probably didn't pay enough attention um and as soon as he said it I thought oh no of course it is of course it is why didn't I think of that um and you know spend spend however much trying to fix them and thankfully they're all fixed now um but it was just the fact that that hadn't even occurred to me you know it's just like you know what smart kid smart kid and not you know at, at no point there did I think oh I'm less of an engineer or you know I'm jealous of that person I just thought hey you know I can learn from that I need a I need a brush up on my uh <laughs> 
<laughs> on my basic engineering skills apparently I've been focusing on arms too long um and yeah that was quite a humbling experience mainly because it cost a, a few hundred pounds of my budget to fix but you know it's fine it's all done now um but that's just a recent example that's only minor really um I can't think of any any really big you know boo-boos where I've had a totally total humbling experience <laughs> Well, you know, that's exactly what teamwork's for, because we can't be everything all the time. Um, and so different minds coming together, um, you know, contributing their genius to the drawing board, I think, is invaluable. Absolutely. How do you keep yourself balanced? So this is something I'm really big on uh, is work-life balance. I love my job, but I also want to, you know, I don't want it to be my life for a number of reasons. I think if you put, you know, if you put all your eggs in one basket, when things go wrong, it's going to, it's going to crush you. You know, if I sort of live for my work, the days when work went bad, and sometimes they do, you know, sometimes 3D printers kind of like end up all covered in burnt gunk, you know, that's a bad day. Um, Then you're going to be really down. So I, I'm really really put emphasis on you know I want to have a work-life balance I have like I say when I said I I make all the time I wasn't kidding I have hobbies for days like I I crochet I crochet the jumper I'm wearing (laughs) I I do a lot of knitting I sew my own clothes I grow vegetables um you know I'm out here living like the good life (laughs) it's all um you know I think really important to have hobbies and, and and have friends who do completely different things non non-engineer friends and, and talk about you know normal stuff you know what we're watching on Netflix and not just engineering engineering because otherwise it would consume you I, I genuinely love my job and I love what I do but you've got to have a balance otherwise you'll go mad you'll get burnt out so what's your final message for anyone who is curious about the job that you do and maybe considering a career in engineering themselves I mean first of all feel free to contact me by any means um I'll answer any questions you've got about biomedical engineering because like I say I think it's one of the you know everyone thinks they've got the best job well everyone who loves their job thinks they've got the best job in the world but you know I love biomedical engineering totally happy to talk your ear off about it so feel free to get in touch but if you are looking into it I think Maybe just look at the different jobs available. I always think um, if you're interested in a career, work backwards. Think, okay, where do I want to end up? I want to be a biomedical engineer working on, in my case, prosthetics, or I want to be working on medical devices. I want to be working on insulin pumps. What is it that makes you tick? And then work backwards and think, okay, what am I going to have to study to get there? Is that going to interest me? I mean, there was a time when I wanted to be a Formula One engineer because I love Formula One. And then I looked at the jobs that were available and a lot of it was data. And I was like, do I want to be looking at data all day probably not so you know work back and think okay this is the job I want to do is what that job contains actually interesting to me and then and then look at those things and and work it back but were you the type of kid that was always sketching um no actually I was I was a weird I was a strange child um so I cannot draw to save my life I literally cannot draw and it's really frustrating because I'm a very visual person and I can um I can visualize things in my head really well but I can't put it on the paper and it really really frustrates me I can barely draw a stick man but in 3D I can do it so I can make things I can make clothes I can make I can I don't know probably do something like a sculpture or something but I can't do it in 2D I can't draw 
to save my life and it's really really frustrating being a visual person who can you know I can rotate shapes in my head I can I can see how things fit together I can see the order things fit together but I can't draw and it is really really frustrating <laughs> amazing the way your brain must work to be able to do everything in 3d it's it's quite annoying actually because people always think because you're creative that you can draw and I cannot literally I mean I've done the art classes I've been there done that I cannot draw to save my life I'm literally looking at all all the dresses that I've made in the corner of my room thinking you know people think you can like when they say dressmaking they're like oh you can draft a pattern and I'm like "Mm -mm -mm. I I can work with the material but I can't draw out a pattern I'm really sorry like I just can't do it um so (laughs) it's it's quite frustrating yeah that's why I think I like CAD so much because it's 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 3d it's on a computer I don't have to draw it it can, you know, I can tell it what to draw and it'll do it for me and it's all nice and neat. But if I try to do it by hand, it would just be a mess. I think that's what's so fascinating about you is that the the technological tools that we have are just perfect for you. 3D printers, CAD, I mean, they were made for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally, uh, I, I felt lucky there. <laughs> so with, with hindsight, what would you have done in your career differently to date, if anything? I think this is a tough one because I'm always uh, I always say like if you like where you are now then you know everything everything happened as it should have done you know like you've you've okay I I took some sort of um detours on my career to being on my on my way to being an engineer but I think okay I'm really happy with where I am now so I wouldn't change those detours so um I don't think I would have done anything differently actually I know that that sounds so big-headed but I actually like what I'm doing now and I love the team I'm in I think I'm doing it at the right time um like being able to do a PhD is is very my lab at least we're very liberal with the way we work you know if you have a certain way that works for you you work in that way and during COVID I you know, I had a lot going on at home and being able to work in my own hours and be able to um, work to my own schedule and, and in my way was just like that was a lifesaver. Um, and I think for me, I could not have picked a better time to be doing a PhD than when I needed to be at home and when I needed to have that extra time, be able to work strange hours. So I think I landed exactly the right time, right place, right time. So I wouldn't change a thing. Women end up having to really ask themselves questions about how they juggle a potential family one day, um, relationships, careers, everything. I mean, we're expected to do everything. Um, What's your sort of attitude towards juggling all of that? Um, I mean, see, this is a difficult one for me because I don't I, I don't want to have kids. I don't want to have that sort of like um, family that people sort of, you know, expect you to to have so for me that was never really a problem but it was a problem that people assumed that I did because I mean I remember being asked at interview days like they would say things like oh by the way like we do have childcare options and we do have and I'm like you know you're assuming that I need that that I'm wanting that and I mean I had a a a potential employer once say to me like oh I, I'm really wary of hiring women because I hired a woman once and then she you know after a few months she went straight on maternity leave and then I had to pay her and somebody else and ever since then I've never wanted to really hire women after that and you know to have somebody say that to you to be like first of all that's so wrong on behalf of all of the women but also to 
assume that I'm gonna do the same like it should be fine like if you are gonna do the same you know we, we need maternity leave to be protected but also to sort of not say that to anybody else and then say that to me is like well I wasn't planning on doing that anyway but thanks for assuming that um but I don't want to take that approach of being it just because I don't want that but no other women need that and other women want that so we need to protect that as well like just because some people do go on maternity leave and I don't I'm still gonna you know get angry when people get iffy about maternity leave we need maternity leave protected and I think that I think the fact that it's even a factor in 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 hiring procedures is just is so frustrating because like you know it takes it takes two to have a baby and women do get absolutely landed with um a bigger share you know emotional workload mental workload people think oh it, I know there's a lot of discussion around like okay the chores might be split 50 50 but who did all the planning who did all the organization who told you to do those chores that's mental load as well um and I really don't know how how we can fix that other than you know educating both boys and girls from an early age like it's, it's not just her responsibility <laughs> I totally agree with you like it, it all falls on our shoulders and then we're sort of looked down upon for having to do that kind of work so it's 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 very imbalanced at the moment and I do hope society changes I think there is transformation happening but it's really slow and hopefully conversations like this will help to speed it up true and it's not just that though but when you when we talk about you know how do we fix this imbalance it's it's majority women trying to fix that imbalance as well so it's not just the mental load of having you know women who are balancing careers in the family life they're also the the educators who are then saying like this is unfair and that takes up time and that is a burden as well like look we are two women talking about okay how do we make it better for women you know we need to get I think more men in into the conversation as well because women bearing the load of educating other people about mental workload is also mental workload <laughs> you know and that's quite frustrating too yeah I couldn't agree more um what would your friends and family say is inspiring about you so um I actually asked my mum this because I just can't write about myself um so I asked my mum and she said my never give up attitude because I'm like a dog with a bone if I want to get something done nothing will stop me so um yeah that's, that's what she said <laughs> awesome. um I've, I feel like the fact that you're making your own clothes is a potential amazing answer to this question but what makes you interesting different and unusual um compared to others I mean like I say I think everyone uh, has got you know something unique about them everyone's got something that makes them cool so I wouldn't say like oh I do this and this this makes me cool compared to other people definitely I don't think knitting could be classed as cool for a start um but yeah I do a lot of like craft outside of um my work and sometimes I try and make them cross over like if there's anything in the lab and they're like oh we're gonna need something made it's gonna need to be out of fabric I'll be like I'll stitch it I'll make it um, because you know I just love sewing I love making things um and I'm not just making for making sense I'm very conscious of like being like um eco-friendly with the things I make as well I don't just want to be like making loads of stuff that's gonna you know turn into rubbish um I really hate 
things like fast fashion um in the sense that it gets thrown away not the fact that it's cheap some people need cheap clothes not everyone has a big budget but in the sense that things get bought and thrown away without even being worn or it's too tatty to wear more than once that really frustrates me so yeah I do a lot of craft I do a lot of making things and I try and make things in a way that it's sustainable but it also slows me down like okay I want to dress but it's going to take me two days to make it do I still want the dress yes okay now I'll make it whereas if, if it's that like instant I probably just bought it so yeah lots of, lots of crafty stuff lots of colorful stuff like this I don't know if you can see this one took forever <laughs> wow you are such a woman of many talents and <laughs> um, I don't know like you're the kind of person that I'm proud as an engineer because you really give us a good name like this is what true engineering is a person that really wants to create and solve and find solutions and, 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 and test and prototype. I mean, that is really the definition of engineering. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing um, your experiences with us and um, inspiring us all so much today. Oh, thank you. That's so, so kind, honestly. Like, I, I don't know if I've gone too far the other way. Like, I really want to break that stereotype of, like, you have to fit in. No, you don't. Like, if you want a pink hammer, have a pink hammer. If you want a glittery toolbox, have a glittery toolbox. I would want a glittery toolbox. Like, I, I'm out there to be like, you can you can be, whether you want to be, like, you know, roughy tufty and, and fit in with the, the, the boys, that's fine. But also, if you want to be totally girly and going, you know, with your hair done, your makeup done and everything done, that's still an engineer someone can be super 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 girly and still be an engineer and that's kind of what I like these are my hobbies I'm, I'm not going to hide them because they don't fit with you know like an engineer like yeah I like baking cakes and I like knitting and I'm an engineer and it's weird because a lot of the women who I speak to are like oh yeah I also like knitting and baking cakes <laughs> and I'm an engineer and I think a lot of women hide that and I don't want them to hide that like you know you do you if you have like hobby is I don't know getting your nails done great that doesn't make you any less of an engineer cool do you know what there's such a strong sense of this is me and I'm proud of who I am and there's such a high level of self-acceptance and that is so key in being a success and I don't know you know where that comes from but from what you said earlier if your mum is something to do with that then hats off to her because you really have this genuine sort of um sense of I'm proud to be me and you know if there's anything that anyone takes away from this conversation today it's it's that you know this this real um authentic sense of you know I'm just happy to be in my own skin I mean that's priceless absolutely it's 100% from my mum like 100% she'd never take the credit but it was her <laughs> Thanks for listening and please do subscribe to this podcast and maybe even rate and review it if you can. The more ratings and reviews, then the more interest from those trusty algorithms, which could help to increase the reach of this show. And you can watch the video recording of this conversation on my YouTube channel for my new series called Esteemed. It's all about self-discovery and self-evolution on innovation. So as always, be kind and loving to yourselves and I wish you all a great week.